the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, the curtain came down on the 2023 J League season on Saturday. The Emperor's Cup final played at the National Stadium uh, with two Kanto clubs looking to finish disappointing seasons on a high. And uh, on our last episode of the year, we'll uh, wrap it up. How are you this week? Yeah, I'm still feeling a bit sore after a couple of kids' uh, Christmas parties yesterday, but you know we, we only had what, one real game to, to cover, so that the lighter schedule made things a bit easier for me. Even if the game itself did maybe want to, to seem like it wanted to go on forever, but you know we've, we've got a good guest on this week who I'm sure is in, in great form and ready to, to, to brighten up for us. So how about yourself, Ben? How, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Johnny, and uh, yes, uh, ready to rock and roll for the final time. Uh, this year, as I said in the intro, and yes, uh, joining us uh, to wrap up uh, Saturday's Empress Cup final, uh, where Kawasaki uh, ultimately defeated uh, Kashiwa on penalties after a, a nil-nil draw after 120 minutes. It's uh, Neil Debnam. Neil, it's a biggie. Sashiburi, you haven't spoken to you too much this year, but uh, welcome back to the pod and uh, congratulations on the Empress Cup title. Thanks for having me back and thanks for the congratulations. And yeah, it's no surprise you haven't wanted or needed to talk to me recently, I think. So uh, I quite understand it. Well, yes, it was a, a momentous occasion on Saturday. An announced crowd of over 62,600, which I believe is a record for uh, an Empress Cup uh, fixture. So, uh, you, well, you were there to witness uh, history for Kawasaki, Neil, and you uh, yeah, were part of history as a part of the biggest crowd uh, to attend uh, an Emperor's Cup final. So that's uh, that's something. Um, but uh, yes, this uh, this game, uh, there were, um, yeah, I think frustrations on, on both sides of the ledger. Uh, from from your perspective, Neil, I think, I think frustration at the uh, the, the Kawasaki performance as a whole, but uh, on the Kashiwa side, frustration that they didn't make their um, their better opportunities count. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I know I'm famous for my negativity and I think I've been annoying a few people with it recently, but I think that was the one of the worst games I've seen us play all year. I think in my blog post, I said we played better in the first half against Kyoto and we conceded three times. Uh, like one shot in the 39th minute that was all that happened in the first half so it was pretty dull and um, yeah I feel like I really really need to apologize to anyone connected with Kashiwa Reysol because basically I think they were they were robbed and I don't know I think if if we were had been playing anyone else or anyone who could even finish slightly we would have been in serious trouble Um, but I wouldn't have been late for my lesson after the game so uh you know there's pluses and minuses in everything so yeah really frustrating uh, one for for Kashiwa to take uh, Johnny um uh, I mean yeah Mal Hosoya uh, fluffed these lines on a couple of one-on-ones um and I mean yeah we could uh, we could grind our way through the the 90 minutes but I mean the 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 major action was in um was in extra time wasn't it uh, Hosoya's second one-on-one uh, against uh, Junsung Ryong came in the first half of extra time and then, uh, uh, well, at the same end, but, um, yeah, uh, on the on the opposite side of things, Kenta Matsumoto, the uh, Kashiwa keeper, made an astonishing save to keep out a, a Bafetimbi Gomis header in the 118th minute. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those that Kashiwa are just going to look back on for, for years to come, I think, and um, uh, just, uh, and again, again, an encapsulation of their um, their season to forget. 
Yeah, I think we kind of previewed this game last week and we, we mentioned, like, for example, I think Vissel and, and Shonan both, both in the final week of the, the J-League season after, you know, Vissel had won the title and Shonan had made themselves safe. There was naturally a kind of relaxation and it, they didn't really play so well in the, the final game. And there was always the danger with Kashiro, there'd be a bit of a hangover from, from round 34 or round 33. They'd, they'd managed it to stay up, but obviously they had much more motivation for, for this game than, than perhaps those other teams did for the, a final kind of meaningless league game. And yeah, they definitely looked at the sharper, more more up for it, more, more direct than Kawasaki. But, you know, like like you said, just not, not taking chances in, in front of goal. You know, when I've seen them play this season in the league, generally they seem to, I've seen them, they look better than their opponents and they have a lot of the ball inside the opponent's half in the final third but then you look at the end of game stats and they only have like 10 or 11 shots but this game I saw that I mean I only got the stats off flash score and it said it's 31 shots to nine which I didn't really feel like through the game it was like like over three to one ratio but that's what what it came up with and yeah Hosoya he of course he's I think he got a bit of stick on, on social media about missing those two chances he's, he's subsequently been linked to a couple of German clubs I think but there's, there's rumors he might stay he might feel like he's got you know kind of some, some unfinished business but yeah I think as you say Ben it really encapsulates the, the season Casio have had and I, I don't know Neil I wonder if, you, if you're thinking like if you think back to before 2017 when Kash, Kawasaki of course like started winning trophies is this the kind of game you think you would have lost before that? Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, given that it's the final, and we were notoriously bad in when it came to the last uh, last step of any uh, challenge for any title, I think we would have lost it. But I don't know. I mean, it it was it was just so hopeless, but not completely out of character. With, I mean, we finished the season pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, scoring lots of goals and like playing exciting football for once, which was kind of a a shock, but then as soon as Oniki uh, signed his contract for around next year, um, we ground out a one-nil win away at Sagantos thanks to an own goal, and then we went uh, 120 minutes in this game with, yeah, nine shots. I mean, I can't remember nine shots really <laughs> that we had, and uh, it to me in the stadium it really felt one-way traffic basically, apart from sort of the extra time when I thought we were kind of pushing, we were kind of going for it a bit, but. It's just kind of kind of shocking considering the players we have that we can be quite so. Um, well, I don't know. It was not like we weren't were missing chances. We just I don't know what we did with the ball. Like to have 50 percent possession. It, it just seems like, well, I know what we did with the ball. We passed it sideways and backwards along the uh, the defence and the midfield. So but yeah, it's perhaps in the past we would have uh, we, we probably would have choked. Um but I, I, I'm not really sure uh, you could, we can sort of compare it that that easily because mm. I think we did choke in this game, but somehow we won. So. How about in, in the support? Because you were obviously in the stadium, Neil, but like, I guess we're both from the UK. In that kind of scenario, there'd probably be quite a lot of, of negative shouting or umming and eyeing in the stands as fans get more and more frustrated. What was the kind of mood amongst the, the Frontali support as, as the game progressed and things clearly weren't going your way? Uh, well, in my particular seat, there was quite a lot of complaining. <laughs> but um, I think I really am a bit of an anomaly when it comes to uh, Frontali because the fans are just ridiculously positive. And um, I, I think it was just there was a lot of like, oh, oh, my goodness, this kind of feeling. Like, oh, we almost 
had a shot or something like this but there's definitely it's it astounds me how uh there aren't there isn't more negativity i mean perhaps because it's uh a final people were kind of more optimistic if we'd conceded maybe there might have been a bit more grumbling but um yeah i think it was basically uh just me who was moaning and occasionally got told to shut up by my wife <laughs> and i totally understand it because i don't want to listen to myself but um it was kind of frustrating all right then so the the, the two major incidents um the goldmouth incidents in extra time i think were yeah the most uh, highlight worthy uh, moments of the 120 minutes so into the shootout we went and uh, well it promised drama and it certainly delivered both teams had chances to win uh, this in the shootout Matsumoto uh, the Kashiwa keeper saved Kawasaki's fifth attempt from uh, Gomis that would have been the winner had he uh, slotted home and then the sixth from uh, Kyohei Noborizato, uh, that meant that Aichi Katayama had a chance to win it for Raisol, but he smashed his penalty against the bar. That was a Raisol's sixth attempt. Then finally, on the 10th round of spot kicks, uh, Jung scored and then saved from his Raisol counterpart, Matsumoto, to uh, yeah break his heart and uh, all uh, associated with Raisol and uh, spark uh, wild scenes of celebration for Frontale Neil. So a second Emperor's Cup in Frontale's history. Um, and it continues your uh, your run of uh, trophy success that began, uh, as uh, Johnny referenced earlier, with the, the, the first league title in 2017. In fact, since then, uh, yeah, last season was the only year that uh, you haven't won uh, uh, any silverware uh, since 2017. So uh, back on the, uh, on the track of stocking the cabinet. But uh, I think as we segue on, to yeah, the season as a whole. I mean, we we kind of said it at the, at the start. We we haven't spoken to you for a long time because, um, and trust me, I'm not rubbing it in here because you're talking to an FC Tokyo supporter and a Gumba supporter. But <laughs> it was a just a, a season a season of irrelevance, wasn't it, for Frontale? And it's something that we're simply not used to. But um, an eighth place finish, your your lowest since 2012, and yeah, I mean, it it just went nowhere, didn't it? Your season, uh, the highest. Uh, position you were in the table was sixth after match day 12 and um as i said this is just very very unfrontale like and uh, again like a, a race supporter just wants to forget this season um yeah this trophy aside i imagine you're very much in the same boat yeah um it, it was kind of weird when oniki signed the new contracts like after the after we'd won the acl group uh after the fifth game because I, I did think signing a new contract at that stage was going to make, if if we went on to lose the Emperor's Cup final, it was going to feel a little bit, uh, I, I don't know what the phrase is, but it would feel a little bit kind of, ooh, you know, oh, was that really a good idea? Because this year has been pretty, pretty poor. And I think even the eighth place finish is very generous. Um, we, I don't think we really particularly deserve that either. And I can't really put my finger on why things have gone so off the rails. I mean, so in 2022 season, I can't believe we came so close. We we had a chance of winning the title on the last day because I thought that had been a pretty awful uh, a season for us where we played pretty awful football. But then um, now I'm looking back on 2022's football as being like a golden era compared to this year because 
I, I really don't understand how we got as many points as we did because we definitely didn't deserve to finish eighth. I think uh, bottom half would have been more uh, justified. Um, but uh, I've, I've meandered slightly here. Um, did I cover everything that you asked? I, I've forgotten what the question was. No, sorry. Uh, so, so Neil, I was, go- was going to kind of f- follow up on that though with uh, asking about the, the news that came out. I think yeah, less than 24 hours after you'd, you'd won the, the Emperor's Cup about um, Joan Schmidt and Leandro Damian, but both being um, released at the end of their their contract. So, uh, no, no room for sentimentality there at Frontale anyway. But uh, I wanted to, to ask you about about both of those players. Like, I mean, AA, were you were you surprised by their their departure or that their announced departure? Uh, and B, do you think Kawasaki will will essentially just replace them like for like with a, a centre forward and a, a central midfielder, or do, do you think they might potentially change one of those like foreigner positions for for a winger or or, or heaven forbid a, a centre back? Uh, good question. Uh, I think we all knew Damian was going to go, um, just because I think it there was it kind of felt like he was going to leave last year, but maybe I'm misremembering. Did I think perhaps he was injured at the end of the season and sort of therefore wasn't particularly um uh, move onable if that's a word. Um, but I think in in my blog post I predicted that we'd have quite a lot of people leaving, and I think that's. And, and I did predict predict Joan Schmidt, so I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for that one, because uh, he was he he's always kind of struggled to become part of the 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 first team at uh, the first the starting eleven, um, and I think it's a bit unfair because I think he deserves to be in there, but um, it's kind of difficult for him to get past um, Wakizaka or Tachibanada and the amount of other sort of mainly strikers that Oniki's decided to play in um, midfield throughout the season. Um, I think I think it made the right, it's the right decision for him, definitely. It makes sense. I can't hold it against him. And I think I, I can imagine there'll be some more people leaving. I mean, my off the top of my head, in my uh, uh, speculation way, uh, I think uh, Miyashiro is, people are talking about maybe Miyashiro will go. Uh, Yamane's got an offer from LAFC, is it? Los Angeles FC in MLS. Ah, the other one, the black and gold one. Um, yes, it's the Galaxy. Galaxy are the the white one, aren't they? This is the black and gold one. My friend supports them. Or was it Galaxy? I thought it was LA. Oh, anyway, an LA team. <laughs> um, and people are talking about Tono will maybe go back to Fukuoka. And apparently, I, I didn't pick this up because I'd left the stadium quite uh, rapidly uh, after the trophy was lifted to get to my work on time. Um, but apparently, Wakizaka's uh, speech was kind of uh, perhaps significant in tone or wording. Uh, my wife tells me that there was maybe a little bit of thought that perhaps uh, he might go somewhere as well. So I think... I thought this was going to happen when when the, the Oniki re-signed um, because basically there's a lot of players who have been out of favour and I can't imagine they want to spend another whole season probably being out of favour again. So uh, as for to, uh, your question about replacements, I think Gomez is the replacement for Damian. <laughs> So we've gone uh, to someone who's in less form and is uh, five years older. Um, 
And Joanne Schmidt, people are talking about our youth team product, Ozeki, who was promoted at the end of 21, no, 22, sorry, 2022. And as in normal Oniki style, they he promotes them into the first team and then they do nothing for a whole year. Um, and then sometimes go out on loan the next year. So, I mean, I people are talking about him stepping up and he's going to be the next wonder player. But to be honest, uh, I'd be surprised if Oniki put someone straight in. But I mean, I guess it's he, there's a position there to be taken now. Well, a position on the bench, I guess, at the moment. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. The signings are always a bit of a mystery. Um, we've, uh, talking of people leaving, I think Sasaki as well. I, I imagine that he might want to go somewhere because he's left back and, and has been left back at the training ground. Thank you very much, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, with uh, Noborizato ahead of him and basically the second choice always being a midfielder. Tachibanada or Segawa, a striker. So I, I can't imagine he's having much fun this, or had much fun this year watching people play out of position ahead of him. So, yeah, signing another defender, well, who knows? Um, I, I kind of get the impression that this, the person who makes the signings doesn't actually talk to Oniki that much um, from from some of them. And, and like when we got Gomez, it's like, oh, Oh, so he's a bit like Damian, but older. Uh, oh, okay. So we've got now got five strikers who want to play in that one position that we have. So, so yeah, I, th- I whether they'll be, I mean, surely they must sign more defenders this year. Surely, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that's all really interesting information. Thanks very much, Neil. Because yeah, I, I kind of I'm same as you. I, I'm not really surprised about Damian and, and Joan Schmidt because I think we got a question a couple of months back, and um, I, I kind of said about like balancing the squad out. Like Schmidt and Tachibana are too like they're both too good to have competing for one position when there's kind of clear gaps to fill elsewhere. I mean, from the outside, I, I would suggest kind of getting someone in to replace Ianaga essentially as a, as a right winger if you could find a sort of right wing version of Marcinho and you have two of them and I mean, ideally I would also send a, a centre forward to replace Damian again and have Gomez sort of a, a backup or, or I don't know how long his contract is but and I'm sorry if this sounds a bit a bit Marinos-esque but having kind of three dynamic forwards and then yeah if Waki Zaka was to leave that that would obviously be a, be a massive hole um, I don't uh, kind of like what you said, sometimes Frontali signings, especially from the outside here, like they don't make an awful lot of sense. But I think, you know, Ominami, I think we talked about but before, has actually done a lot better than I expected them to. And then Seko, kind of like you said, with, you know, sometimes players coming in and not getting picked in their first season, but he seems to have kicked on a bit in the second year. And I know there's, a, there's another player coming from, from Toei in Yokohama. I think it's Kakiru Yamauchi. And just kind of judging by, you know, people like Tachibanada or Yamada, they've actually played quite a lot in their first season coming in from Toin to, to Kawasaki. So he might be someone who might not necessarily start from, from round one, but I, I guess he could kind of get involved in, in in the action pretty early on. And it's interesting as well what you said about, about Sasaki, because I know Gamba and I think there's other teams were trying to sign him out of university. And yeah, I know Gamba likes sending fullbacks, but I think we're, we're quite full there at the moment, so he won't be going there. But I'd imagine he could he could get a, a move to you know a 
Kashiwa, for, for example, because Katayama was not not great again in the final. I think they could do with a Sasaki quite quite easily. So yeah, that's that's all really really good information. Thank you very much for for providing that. All speculation, <laughs> just inside my uh, inside my brain, I just come up with these things sometimes. And I, I wonder, it probably will uh, fall down the, uh, the the list of priorities, Neil. But I wonder when, uh, if and when they might address uh, the need for the potential need for a new goalkeeper. I mean, you won't want to um, obviously be rid of uh, Jung after his uh, heroics on Saturday. But um, we we do recall, of course, that he lost his spot for an extended period this season to to Naoto Kamifukamoto. It uh, didn't work out, and uh, uh, Mr. Oniki reversed course and and uh, put his faith back in in Jung, and has obviously been rewarded with with a trophy at the end of the the campaign. But yeah, Jung has been there for an extremely long time, hasn't he? And um, well, obviously, yeah, goalkeepers they do tend to age like a fine wine in the J-League and they can generally go on for as long as they choose to. But, um, yeah, I wonder whether the uh, there might come a time, uh, it might not be this off-season, but, the, well, there, there will have to come a time when when Jung's time is up. But um, what sort of a succession plan do you think is there for uh, for, for that position? And will, will Kami Fukumoto be, uh, be, be trusted if, if Jung is moved on or do you think there, there'll be uh, um, more fresh blood brought in uh, between the sticks. Mm. <laughs> Good question. I think um, it's it's kind of ironic that in the final, Oniki's bacon was saved by the guy he tried to bin, and I think he's tried to bin him in previous seasons as well. He was playing short, shorter. God, I can't remember his name. Arai, shorter Arai, ahead of him, yeah, uh, for a, quite a long time. And yeah, I, I I think I think he's definitely got another year in him. Um, Kami Fukumoto is a difficult question because, like, I've had to put up with quite a lot of people telling me about how Kami Fukumoto should be playing because of his uh, great ball, ball skills. But, I mean, he, 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 his great ball skills weren't that great, really, uh, when when he was called on. And I think he basically had a run, and I don't think he's... I mean, people say his ball skills were would make up for his sort of bit not being quite as good at being a goalkeeper. But um, I think I think he made some horrendous clangers, and I I I would hope that he can sort of redeem himself at some stage. But there's absolutely no way I want him starting ahead of uh, Jung at the moment. We have, we do have two other goalkeepers in the squad to. Um, haven't got a look in at all um so i i would imagine we we probably won't be changing anything there this year um but yeah it's it's there's quite a lot of players in our squad who are who are sort of coming to the stage where you think mm, it's it's getting kind of a uh perhaps to the end of few people's careers yeah i guess but uh it's funny when you said previously about perhaps getting a right winger it would be nice to have someone who plays on the right because Ian Hugger plays everywhere apart from there normally so which has made us extremely lopsided but um yeah I don't know there's a lot of uh, a lot of big decisions to be made uh, so hopefully we can trust in Oniki to make these decisions correctly um yeah sorry I'm giggling slightly <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, looking at this from a, a neutral perspective, uh, Johnny, do you? And you know, I don't. I don't think you know we need to worry about offending Neil by talking about this. But do you think the uh, the golden era is officially over for Frontale, Johnny? I mean, it was uh, an unprecedented run of, of success, four top flight titles in five seasons, and we know about all of the other trophies along the way. As we mentioned, uh, 2022 was the only year they haven't won any silverware uh, in the last seven years. So. They simply lost too many good players, I think, didn't they, over a, a short period of time. And while their um, their production line has brought through so many excellent players over the years, I mean, it was just too much and too much quality going out for uh, for, for any squad to cope, really. And, um, yeah, the, the, the quality of the players they've tried to replace them with uh, obviously hasn't quite been of the same level. And, yeah, a, a next golden generation hasn't emerged yet. So... Um, I guess, uh, yeah, they've, they've really come back to the pack in 2023. And do you see, yeah, major surgery is the only way back up the table for Frontale in, in 24? Um, I think that there's nuances in all of that. You know, I don't see that, like, I think Sam mentioned last week about the, the kind of overall quality of the league. And I think you know, the more players that like go overseas, the, the harder it is for, for the league to maintain the same level, at least initially to it. It kind of stabilizes, like you know, people like um, like Yotaro Ito went from Niigata, and, and uh, Takuro Kaneko went from Sapporo you know, to, to to Europe mid-season. And players like that, you know, 15 years ago they would have stayed in the league, even at their current team, or, or moved to to another side. And it's just you know, all this kind of upheaval. Every winter players go, and then in the summer players go as well. And you, you kind of have to kind of pick your your players. You know, your favorite like Shoma Doi or people like Shu Kurata, who are maybe slightly too small for European teams, but they're very good level J-League players, or then you've got to get those players coming back from, from Europe that have still got the kind of fire in their belly and find that balance. Obviously, for a lot of years, like Frontali did, did very well based on signings directly out of university or high schools or, or their youth team, which is a very difficult balance to get right. I mean, your big European teams can, can just flash the money around and, and bring in top international players, Was even the biggest J-League clubs can't, can't really do that. So... I think you know this. I mean, they won they won a title this year, as as they tend to do most years. And the thing is, like you know, we, we can we can say now, like a couple of days after the the game, that you know it came down to which team's goalkeeper could take the better penalty. It's a really razor razor thin margin that divided the two teams. But as time passes, you know, you can forget about that. And ultimately, it goes down as an Emperor's Cup win for Kawasaki. And most people have completely forgotten that you know did they deserve it or what was the game like. So I can see Kawasaki continuing to to pick up, you know, cup trophies that are doing quite well in the, the ACL. Um, and I, I do think eighth this year, I, I struggle to see them finishing that low again, obviously without knowing what's going to happen this winter. I, I think they will improve a bit. But yeah, you mentioned people like yeah, Ian Agar or the, the centre forward position. That, that obviously needs younger players. Jung at some point is going to have to be replaced and even like Yamamura I know he's a striker is he a midfielder is he a defender he seems to play an awful lot of games in in centre back and you know, even people like Nobori Zato um, uh, Kuramaya that they're not so young anymore so you know they're going to have to pick up the, some, some more gems from their youth team and you know, from from universities that can come in and essentially play not quite from the word go but not not taking years and years to, to develop but you know, it's a bit, bit, bit of a ramble but I would say that 
Kawasaki are not going to like not going to win four or five titles in a row anytime soon. I, I don't think, but I don't think they'll have too many more seasons as, as bad as this one in in the league in the, in the coming years. Would be my kind of balanced take on that. I think. All right then, fair enough. Uh, so, uh, well, yeah, Neil, we uh, we didn't want to send you out on a uh, on a uh, on a low note, but uh, yeah, we'll <laughs> obviously, yeah, it does promise to be a fascinating off season and uh, with um, yeah a lot of uh, areas uh, uh, across the squad to be addressed by. Uh, yeah, whoever decides on the transfers at Frontale. So uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on uh, what they get up to uh, in the market. But, um, yeah, well, as we said, congratulations on, on the trophy. And, uh, I mean, yeah, the ACL has been a um, a, a ray of light uh, towards the end of the year, hasn't it? You're already through to uh, the ne- the knockout stage, guaranteed before you play the uh, the final group stage game away at uh, Ulsan on Tuesday night. So um, I don't know. With maybe with that in mind, you've uh, you already know that you you've booked your passage through to the knockout stage. So you're uh, you're heading back to the UK on on Tuesday morning. You're not even worried about hanging around for the uh, the, the last ACL group stage game. So um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoy the celebrations of the uh, the Empress cup and have a great trip and a safe trip back home and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again in uh, 2024 yeah thanks for having me again and yeah once again apologies to kashua um yeah can't say the best team won but i'm delighted about the result Welcome back to part two and uh, thanks again to Neil and once again to gr- congratulations to him and to all Frontale supporters. So, uh, Johnny, in uh, part two of this podcast, uh, we'll uh, wrap up uh, any other business in inverted commas before we uh, bid uh, 2023 uh, farewell. It's uh, certainly been uh, yet another amazing year as uh, the league turned 30. Of course, uh, we'll be back in uh, January to uh, to look ahead to the Asian Cup with the Japan beginning their campaign uh, on the 14th of January. So, yeah, never fear, listeners, we'll be back uh, well before uh, they uh, they play their first group game against uh, Vietnam. And um, on a national team tip, Johnny uh, Hajime Moriyasu named his uh, squad of 23 players for, um, yeah, the quirkily scheduled New Year's Day friendly against uh, Thailand uh, at the National Stadium late last week. It was, um, yeah, an interesting mishmash of players from uh, both from uh, the domestic clubs and also from abroad. Um, what were your general takeaways from from that list of 23? I mean, f- forgive me for for starting with the obvious, but there was there was two new players, uh, like brand new players in the squad. Obviously, um, someone who was talked about heavily in the, the first half of the season on this pod, Yotaro uh, Ito, who's who's gone from from Niigatas to uh, Saint Troiden in, in Belgium, and has obviously started pretty well over there. So, yeah, I'm honestly I'm a bit surprised he hasn't. He hasn't been in the squad earlier. I mean, maybe maybe the fact you know that the transfer over the summer and having to, to readjust, there's no need to kind of have him flying back to Japan when you've got so many other players uh, around there. But it is good to see him involved and and hopefully again. I, I, I mean, depending on on injuries, I mean, I don't think he would make the final squad for the the, the Asian Cup, but you, you never know. But de- definitely someone uh, along with like we, we mentioned before, Sano and Hosoya, who I think are going to be quite. Quite big big players perhaps in the in the future for Japan and then the the, the other one of course is um yeah from, from your FC Tokyo Taishi Brandon Nozawa after after only 10, 10 J1 games he's he's in the the squad he's obviously been someone who's been hyped for for a while and 
you know, he, he made a couple of mistakes. He also did a lot of good things for, for FC Tokyo. And you know, I like to keep some, some stats on, on goalkeepers in J1. And he finished the season with the highest save percentage. Granted, he only just made my cut-off point, which is 10 games, net 900 minutes. So I'm not sure how quite that, that compares to other goalkeepers who maybe played 34, minute, uh, 34 games. But I, I think it was mentioned that, that Osako's got, got an injury. Not sure how serious that is, but... I'd expect Suzuki to, to play in this game, but whether they might make a substitution at halftime and bring Mayakawa on remains to be seen. But yeah, you know, I guess it, it, in goals it gets Mazawa in, in the national team squad, gets him to gets him to know everyone else. But I, I wonder how you know Osako's injury. Hopefully he'll be back to to challenge and, and challenge for the number one slot because him and Suzuki have kind of rotated, but. And it's shaping up as, as they might be the kind of the great rivals for the gloves over the, the coming years. But if Osaka was to miss out in this competition and Suzuki goes on and plays all all the games and Japan do, do well, then that would definitely throw a marker down down for him. Um, outside of that, I mean, it's it's a lot of players you'd expect to be in this kind of squad. I guess the, the ones that point out um, uh, Fuji from from Nagoya, who's someone I think yes, yeah, Sam pointed out last week, and it's been said before that he's lightly on the. On, on the train on the plane to um, to Europe, Morista's um, back in the squad also from from Nagoya and uh, Kawamura's back in from from Hiroshima, and the player who caught us off guard a, a, a couple of months back, I think uh, Kanji Okunuki, he's he's worked his way into the squad, but you know there's, there's a few injuries and there's a, a few players from from leagues in, in Europe that don't have the the winter break, so. I mean, it's a 23-man squad that looks pretty strong on, on paper. And I've written down like 15 names of players who, if they weren't injured or if, if they weren't in a, a league that, um, that that was continuing to play over over the festive period, then, you know, they'd be very strong contenders for, for national team honours. And, yeah, so there's a lot lot of players challenging for, for not many positions in, in the Japan squad. And interestingly, you know, going by our, our kind of discussion about the, the, the squad for the Asian Cup, the composition of it. I've got it down as three goalkeepers, eight defenders, nine midfielders and, and three forwards is kind of how I've broken it down. So whether that matches what will actually happen remains to be seen. But, you know, how about how about you, Ben? Well, first of all, what, what was your reaction to um, to, to Nozawa's inclusion and, and your general thoughts on, on the rest of the squad? Yeah, I knew that uh, Nozawa had been involved in uh, in youth national team setups for, uh, for a number of years now. So in that regard, I guess I wasn't completely stunned to, to see his name included but yeah I, I would have thought somebody like um, well speaking of Ito from Niigata I thought Ryosuke Kojima might have been the, the next cab off the rank so yeah I was a little bit surprised to see Nozawa's name uh, instead of of Kojima but uh, um, yeah I, I doubt Nozawa will play in this in this one-off game but as you say it's good for him to uh, to get um yeah his feet wet in a uh, in a, a full national team squad so for him that's going to be an invaluable experience i'm sure yeah ito um all we need is another ito in the uh, the national team setup isn't it johnny if atsuki had been included as well that would have made it uh, four itos on the list of 23 so little by little the itos are taking over the uh, the entire national team setup but um yeah terrific to see him uh, get this opportunity as well and i think think yeah there are 
too many plays ahead of him in the pecking order for him to come into the reckoning for the Asian Cup. But um, yeah, now that uh, he'll again, he'll be getting his feet wet in this in this uh, squad and hopefully yeah, see the pitch uh, in this game. Then, uh, yeah, he'll be uh, looking to uh, make himself a fixture in national team squads. I think once the Asian Cup's um, done and dusted, however, Japan doing it and uh, as the obviously as the, the World Cup qualification process continues throughout uh, 2024 but uh, yeah it's good to see Ko Itakura and uh, Keito Nakamura back from uh, injuries that saw them miss out on the 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 last squad of course we have a really worrying wait to see if Takehiro Tomiyasu is going to be fit or not um, presumably to partner Itakura at the center of uh, of Japan's defense in the Asian Cup but um, yeah overall um, I guess uh, yeah, one or two surprises, but um, as you say, with uh, 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 the, the leagues that don't have the winter break, this isn't a um, a FIFA international window, so Moriyasu wasn't able to call up the likes of Wataru Endo, uh, Kaoru Mitoma, Kyogo Furuhashi, etc. So um, yeah, it should be a, um, an interesting occasion on New Year's Day for the the, the punters who are getting along. And um, I think I heard in the press conference that very shortly after that game, it might even be the, uh, the the same day um moriyasu will be announcing the 23 for the asian cup so um yeah i'm not sure how much this this game and uh, players performances in it will uh, will have any bearing at all on uh, on on his 23 uh, or not but uh, we'll uh, we'll wait and see how the the fixture goes first and foremost and then um obviously there'll be a lot of players biting their uh, fingernails down to the quick because as you say that the the, uh, the the strength in depth is um well a very pleasing problem for Moriyasu to have ahead of the Asian Cup in other news we've uh, we've obviously had some some transfer uh, movement in uh, in the top flight and also some managers coming and going uh, some uh, managerial changes we already knew about um before the season concluded of course but uh, yeah what have been the the headline stories say over the the last week since uh, yourself Sam and I recorded the, uh, the 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 podcast after match day 34 Johnny well, yeah, there's been a couple of uh, interesting announcements at two of the two of the bigger clubs. I'll, I'll start at Urawa. So we obviously knew that Mashie Scorja was going to leave, and that they've replaced him with a, a very interesting name. Uh, and I'm going by by um, the, the Katakana here with my pronunciation. So apologies to any any uh, Norwegian people listening to the pod if I get this wrong. But Per Matthias Hegmo is how it's written in, in Kata, Katakana, but. From what I can see, he's 64 years old, extremely experienced. It seems he's coached both um, Norway's men and women's national teams, and he's also coached the men's under-21 team. He won the, the Olympic gold at the, the Sydney Olympics in 2000 with the, with Norway's women. He's coached a few teams in, in Norway, including the, the one I know best is, is Rosenborg. And he was most recently, a, a, again, apologies if I get the pronunciation wrong, Hecken in, in Sweden. Um, where um, I think he finished third place in the, the, the recently just just finished season. Um, seems to be quite quite a, an aggressive attack-minded coach. He was playing a 4-3-3 at, at Hecken, although he has also played a 4-2-3-1 in the past, so kind of fits in with what what Reds are, have been doing and what, what they're trying to do. And I, I saw a kind of quote from him today, and he said that Reds had scouted them quite extensively. They knew what his strengths were, and he was impressed by them. Um, so from the outside, it seems like quite quite a, a good appointment, and it kind of fits in with you know he'll be their, their third European coach in a row. It seems to fit in with what what they're trying to do, and I've seen a couple of rumours that 
I mean, I, I don't know how, how much truth there is in them, but the um, Swedish international midfielder Samuel Gustafsson, who plays for, for Hecken, um, he, he's been linked with a move to, to Reds. And also the, the top scorer of the, the Swedish uh, top flight, Isaac Kisa Tellen uh, from Malmo. Um, again, how, how much, yeah, I, I mean, how much truth there is in, in either of those stories remains to be seen. But it, it all looks, from, from my, my vantage point, it looks quite quite positive that the coach and the players have been linked with. So, yeah, if, if he can hit the ground running as, as Scorsia did, then then Reds will be, be thereabouts. But that, that was obviously quite a big story. And the, the, the other one uh, involves a, a couple of your your countrymen, Ben, uh, Kevin Muscat, who we, we speculated again with Sam. He he was likely to, to, to leave. He, he has resigned from Yokohama F Marinos. That's surprisingly linked with, with a move to China, which I, I thought would go to Europe. But again, he hasn't he hasn't signed in China as far as I know. But he, he, he's gone officially and... Um, Mariners appear to be looking overseas for a new coach. Ha- Harry Kuehl, who's I think he's coaching under Brendan Rodgers at, at Celtic, S- seems to be the um, seems to be the, the target according to the, the stories I read. Obviously, Kuehl, a very high-profile player, uh, not only in Australia but in Europe during his playing days. Don't know so much about his, his coaching, but a very intriguing appointment if, if it comes to, to fruition. So I think with, with those kind of stories in mind, that that leaves us with. I think of the 20 teams next year, 13 have already confirmed managers. And then I think another five of those managers, I think are, it's just a matter of like kind of checking the box, like Misha Petrovic, etc. And then it only really leaves Marinos and Kashima. Of, I really don't know who's going to be coaching them next season. I haven't heard any names linked with, with the Kashima job, other than I think they're looking for, for someone from overseas. So... That, that's my kind of roundup. Any thoughts on that, Ben? But particularly the, the situation at, at Mariners with, with, with Harry Kuehl and, and Kevin Muscat. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? You, you said that uh, Reds uh, have a type with, uh, yes, uh, yet another European manager. Well, if uh, if Kuehl comes in, then we can we can definitely say for certain that uh, F Marinos do as well because, uh, yeah, he would be their, their third consecutive uh, Australian coach in a full-time uh, capacity, of course. And, uh, yeah, it would be, be really interesting. Uh, Kuehl, obviously, yeah, at Celtic at the moment, having joined uh, Ange Postacoglu's staff there in, in, in 2022. And, um, well, yeah, he's uh, – I guess if uh, Ange might have put in a, a good word – uh, on Harry's behalf to the uh, the F Marinos front office, or um, maybe they were already well aware of uh, of his abilities as a coach. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that would definitely be a, an interesting appointment. He's unreal. I think he's unproven as uh, as a head man in his uh, his uh, stints at uh, lower league clubs in uh, in England. But uh, yeah, it would be really interesting to see how we how he got on. At uh, at F Marinos and uh, yeah, try and continue the uh, the tradition of uh, successful Australian coaches that have um, yeah brought uh, obviously two uh, J1 titles to the Nissan Stadium in uh, in the last four seasons, uh, five seasons. Uh, let me do my maths. Yeah, so um, we'll uh, we'll wait and see what develops there uh, on a uh, on the playing side of things. We we mentioned with Neil obviously two big names uh, confirmed leaving Kawasaki in uh, Leandro Damiao and uh, Jao Schmidt. Johnny with uh, yeah Mickey Yamane who's uh, well been ever present at uh, Frontale for a number of years now as uh, as we said also rumored to be out the door um FC Tokyo have been um active and signed uh, Takahiro Cole from from Niigata to uh, yeah t- to hopefully lock down the uh, the the holding midfield berth 
uh, next season. That should be uh, an interesting signing. You'll obviously will have been well aware of him as he uh, obviously came through the ranks at Gumba. So, um, yeah, he's obviously impressed in his time at Niigata and uh, felt the time was right to move on uh, and uh, try his luck in the capital. So, um, yeah, do you think he uh, kind of ticks the, the boxes that um peter Klimovsky might be looking for in a, in a number six in his uh, central midfield uh, going forward well this was actually really interesting because it, it, it was no sooner that you'd said that the verdi coming up to j1 might give fc tokyo a kick up the bum and they, they confirmed that. i think that was the first kind of major signing of the winter uh confirmed and yeah Coase had a very interesting career because you, you mentioned he started his, his senior career at gamba i think he was at kawasaki when he was like junior high school and I remember him playing for, for Gamba under 23 and then when Miyamoto got the, the job the Gamba job in the middle of 2018 he brought him into the, the the first team squad he played very well towards the end of that season and he had a bit of a, a rough start to 2019 and suddenly he was on loan to, to Yamaguchi way down the, the foot of J2 and what I actually like is I think he did something a lot of players need to do and he, he just he, he properly ground out at Yamaguchi a club that was probably he was a better player than that but he was guaranteed starts and he, he started to make his mark on, on like top flight football playing against like adult men after largely playing against like kids for most of his life and then obviously took the step up from Yamaguchi to Niigata who were then in, in J2 and again he's made the step up with Niigata from J2 to J1 so yeah, I, I think at this moment in time, I think it looks a good signing on paper. I am, I guess, slightly concerned. I kind of feel, I don't know if you agree, that you know, FC Tokyo and Gamba are kind of maybe the, the same kind of thing. Of that They've not been very successful in recent years, but the expectation level is far higher than what they're actually producing. So, you know, mm. you finish 10th for Niigata, no one's complaining, you get a lot of applause. You finish 10th for FC Tokyo or Gamba, there's not too many people singing your, your praises. So... I think, yeah, this is a good signing considering they lost, you know, uh, Abe in, in the summer and, and, um, and Matsuki might depart within the next kind of 12 months. I think it's definitely an area that they need an upgrade in and he fits the age profile as well. Um, and, you know, he he's played that, that kind of style that um, at, at Niigata is obviously heavily influenced from, from Matsuhashi spending time at, at Marinos. And Klamovsky was with Matsuhashi at Marinos. So you think a lot of theory says this is going to be a, be a good signing. So whether it actually turns out um, turns out to be that way, we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, but given his Gamba background, I'll, I'll be rooting for him. I'll be, I'll be hoping he, he does well for, for you guys. Yeah, I mean, the recent history of Tokyo signing players from... And again, no disrespect to Niigata, they finished higher in the table than, than Tokyo did this year. But in inverted commas, smaller clubs, I mean, hasn't been great. We, uh, you know, we've tended to sign one a year from uh, from Tosu in in recent years, and we've had far more uh, misses than hits in that department. Even a player like Keiko Izumi, who was so important for for, for Tosu, has come in and um, yeah, had a decent first year at Tokyo, but uh, certainly didn't pull up. Uh, that many trees. So, yeah, there will be an adjustment period, I think, for, for Cole, but hopefully, yeah, his familiarity with the, the broad strokes of, of the system that uh, that both Niigata's coach and, uh, and Klamovsky um, are, uh, yeah, aligned with will uh, will hopefully help him settle and, uh, and yeah, he can... Uh, Hopefully, do the business for Tokyo. I say, uh, as a, as a Tokyo supporter, obviously. Has there been any other um, any other movements or any other gossip that's uh, that's got you intrigued in the very very early stages of this uh, transfer window? 
I mean, the, the only things I would say would uh, to be to be noteworthy. Yeah, there was a surprise move Yuji Ono from from Sagantosa to to Niigata, and you know Ono, as we as we know, has had injury problems throughout his career. He he's managed to to stay reasonably fit like this past season, scored nine goals, and you know honestly, I, I kind of envisaged he'd probably stay at Sagantosa until he got too old and then he dropped down the division. So this was a was a bit of a surprise, and you know his nine goals gone. There's going to need to find a replacement for him from 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 somewhere. So that was a a bit of a bolt from the blue, um, and then also Kashima, of, of no uh, no coach, and I think basically all of their foreign players have gone, other than a kind of backup South Korean goalkeeper, because Kaike's been released. Um, Ileke, who of course was the player brought in the middle of last season, and they, they changed coaches, and Iwamasa didn't fancy him, and they, they moved Juan Alano on to Gamba to, to facilitate that transfer, so I'm not going to complain about them signing him, but yeah, Ileke has gone after not making much of an impact in the past year and a half, Juan uh, Sunte is retired and Pituca, as we, we kind of thought he was, he, he's gone back to Central Santos, who I believe have been relegated to Serie B in Brazil for the first time. There was a bit of a riot or there was some, some trouble about that. So it's so a good luck to him there. But yes, yeah, so I'd imagine, you know, over the winter, there's been a good amount of, of movement at Kashima. You're probably going to see some new Brazilian forwards, midfielders and defenders coming in with a with a new coach probably from, from Europe or South America, I, I'd imagine. I mean, outside of that, I think you've got Lucas Fernandez has left uh, Sapporo linked with Cerezo, but he might go overseas. And yeah, Tit Tarek El Yunusi just left uh, Shonan after a few years there. And obviously, Mal Hosoya, as we mentioned earlier, he's been linked with a move overseas, but he, he may stay. And actually, as we were recording this with Neil earlier, my, my friend said one of the, the rumour accounts had Gamba and FC Tokyo in the hunt for Elber off, off Yokohama F. Marinos. So I don't know how much is in that, but I am a bit worried when players at that age leave Marinos because yeah, I tend to think that they know what they're doing with like you know, Terahito Nakagawa style players. They never have the same magic after they leave, but that, that could mm. all be completely fabricated. He, he does fit the kind of profile of the player that Gamba are looking for, and Gamba have been linked with um, a couple of defenders actually, um, as we mentioned last week, Nakatani and also Kazuya Miyahara from, from Tokyo Verdi, so whether any of those deals come to fruition remains to be seen, but I mean, at least Gamba are targeting players that play for teams with strong defences, because, you know, as, uh, I know we've run Sam's comments in, into the ground about Tatsuta and, and um, Katayama, but I think it did ring very, very true. You know, if anyone was to sign two defenders off Gamba this winter, I think they'd have to be questioned seriously. So the fact that Gamba are at least looking at teams that have good defences for, for players at least fills me with some kind of hope, but yeah, still, still very early days in the, the, the transfer window. I, I'd expect maybe even by the time people are listening to this, there'll be a few more transfers. And to, to the end of this week, I think things will start to, to heat up a bit, I think. Rightio then. OK, so, um, yeah, the, the J-League season has uh, concluded with the uh, the Empress Cup final on Saturday, Johnny. But, of course, uh, we still have uh, three uh, J-League clubs involved in the Asian Champions League. They play their final uh, round of uh, group stage games uh, this midweek. We mentioned with uh, with Neil that uh, Kawasaki are away at uh, Ulsan of uh, South Korea on Tuesday night, having already confirmed their spot uh, through to the knockout stages as uh, winners of their group after winning the first five group stage games. Uh, the uh, the jeopardy is uh, much higher, though, for J2 Kofu uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, when they travel to Thailand to face Buridam, uh, Johnny. They are currently joint top of their group with uh, Melbourne City. Uh, Melbourne City uh, play uh, Zhejiang of China. And, uh, yeah, well, Kofu 
if uh, if they can do the business uh, at, away at Buriram, then they could seal a famous berth in the uh, the knockout stages of the Asian Champions League, and that would just be a, a phenomenal um, a phenomenal result for them and um, everybody involved with this club. And well, it would be a lesson to a number of other uh, J1 clubs over the the past few years, uh, Johnny, that have not taken this competition especially seriously. Uh, Kofu have made the most. And that's a massive understatement of their uh, their ACL adventure. And wouldn't it be just uh, absolutely magical if they could uh, seal a spot in the knockout stage? Yes, absolutely. And I'm looking at the, the league table now. And as far as I can tell, essentially any of the four teams could theoretically finish top of the league or mm. could, could go through. Um, so, uh, yeah, Kofu, it, it seems like, you know, it's the top two have eight points and then third and fourth of six. So it's, it's clearly a very very evenly matched league uh, or mini league. So in essence, yeah, it, 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 it could go anyway in both of these games on um, this week. And, you know, the, the thing that's, that's in Kofu's favour is that, you know, that their league season is, is finished. So they were kind of balancing league and, and ACL so they can play the, the, the strongest 11. And they're also a, a bit more, bit more rested than the you naturally would be towards the end of the season. Um, yeah, I think that's that, that's the positives for the, the kind of downside is obviously we've got this situation where the, the, the Asian Champions League goes over across two seasons. So Kofu just missed out on promotion this year. So having to play ACL over two seasons just makes it even even tougher for a, a J2 side. Like if even if you got to the you know, quarterfinals or something, what one year? Well, it's just one year, one season. It's maybe slightly damaged league-wise, but doing it over two two seasons, I I wonder how you know. I'm sure the fans will absolutely love it. We, we're loving it on, on here. The players will be loving it. I, I wonder how some of maybe the, the, the higher-ups of the club or the, there might be a bit more, like the, the bean counters, if they're a bit more negative. But, yeah, it would be, from our point of view, like cheering for the Japanese clubs would be absolutely fantastic. And you know, I, I really I really hope they can do it. But it does seem to be a bit of a, a lottery, you know, but being away from home in such a such a tightly contested uh, group. But, yeah, yeah all, all the best to, to, to Van Vore Kofu. Most definitely. And uh, so the other team is still involved in the ACL and uh, Urawa fans will be uh, very uh, pleased to know that we, uh, we we buried the fact that they uh, they, they uh, tumbled out of, uh, of the competition uh, last midweek with a, a loss to Hanoi uh, that uh, ended any uh, hopes they had of uh, making it through to the knockout stage. But obviously they've got to the, the Club World Cup to look forward to uh, in the uh, the near future. Uh, Yokohama F Marinos are currently third uh, in their group and uh, their final group stage game uh, is on Wednesday night. They host the current group leaders, uh, Shandong uh, Taishan of China. But uh, the fact that Incheon, who are on the same amount of points as them, uh, Johnny, host uh, bottom club and uh, pointless Kaya means that, uh, yeah, the, the, the possibility... Uh, even if F Marino's win is that uh, three teams will finish on a uh, 12 points at the top of a uh, group G and then um, I probably should have looked into this, but yeah, the permutations and the tiebreakers, uh, I'm not sure how they would, um, how they would be dealt with, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely tight in Kofu's group. And as I said, we could have a three way tie for, for top spot in group G. Yeah, th- th- this is another one. Just looking at these two groups together, it's really hard to work out permutations. But I mean, essentially, Mar- Marinos know from the start they have to win, and if they can get in front, they need to try and win by, by a few goals. Because it looks like Shandong got a plus ten goal difference, Incheon plus three, and Marinos is only plus two. That that 
well, only scraping past Kaya in the, in the last game. Looks like it might kind of come back to, to haunt them. But yeah, I mean, the most likely scenario for me is that three teams end up in 12 points. And with the fixtures as they are, that ultimately looks like for, for Mariners, we're leaving in th- third place in goal difference. Uh, again, with you, Ben, I haven't worked out if there's any permutations of, of head-to-heads or anything that might put one team ahead of another. I, I get the feeling with three teams in the same amount of points, head-to-heads wouldn't come into it because that would be... That would just confuse matters, but I guess Matt Marinos' greatest hope might be that, that Kaya could could spring a surprise. You know, we saw with with Hanoi last week, and then we saw obviously with um, with Kaya at home to Marinos that these teams can can do something. Sometimes at, at home they might not travel so well, but it, it, they're probably their best hope is really you know, getting a win against Shandong, and they're really hoping that Kaya can can even take a draw in Chun, and that gets them up into to second place. But yeah, if if I was a betting betting person, I would probably say that we'll have two teams, Kawasaki and Kofu, into the into the knockout stages. And Marinos, yeah, they might join uh, Urawa with their, with the tails between the legs slightly, with a, a disappointing campaign, albeit in, in what looks like a, a very very tough group. And you know, it's Kevin Muscat's last last game in charge. You obviously want to go out on a high, but I'm not. Yeah, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be too negative, Marinos fans. And hopefully, I, I reverse jinx it for you. But yeah, you know, looking at the standings at I'm not convinced they, they will go through. Would you would you agree or disagree, Ben? Yeah, it looks really tight, doesn't it? They need uh, they need goals and uh, a number of them to um, yeah not only try and catch uh, Shandong on on their uh, their goal difference, but also yeah if uh, if Inchon don't slip up on the uh, the Kaya banana skin, then they're they're likely to put quite a few past um, Kaya as well. So yeah, they might be playing catch up in terms of goal difference against uh, against two opponents up at the top of their group. But, uh, yeah, good luck to um, to them and, uh, indeed, to Kofu. And, of course, well, yeah, Kawasaki, we hope they uh, they can do the business in their their dead rubber away at uh, Ulsan as well. And, uh, yeah, Red's uh, the disappointment of going out in the uh, the group stage this time around. But, uh, yes, they, uh, they'll uh, try, get to try their luck over in the uh, Club World Cup because as we start to wrap up the year, John, that began for JTalk all the way back on the 17th of January with our first uh, episode of the year. Um, yeah, the, one of the early highlights of uh, 2023, of course, was that Reds winning the ACL for the third time in their history, a, a monumental achievement for them. Uh, the J-League, of course, turned 30 in 2023, while in the mid-season, of course, we bade farewell to uh, Andres Iniesta, and um, well, the rest, as uh, we all know, is uh, history, and uh, Kobe are J1 champions for the first time in their history, but uh, yeah, Iniesta obviously brought a lot of eyeballs to uh, the J-League uh, across his time um, in Kobe, and um, yeah, he uh, well, he obviously got a lot out of the uh, the, the arrangement as well. But uh, yes, he uh, turned uh, a lot of people's eyes onto Kobe, and indeed onto their project, Johnny, that um, uh, bore fruit in in the uh, the best way possible at the end of the season. I'm sure you uh, remember. You you might not want to remember it too fondly, but uh, yeah, you carried the can, of course. For for J Talk through the summer when uh, I was away, um, I took my uh, kids back home for five weeks, and uh, well, first yourself and Sam uh, uh, steered the good ship J Talk, and then uh, you you uh, took the reins on a, a solo basis. And um, yeah, how how do you look back on that time now as we, as we wrap up the year? 
Gamba were still winning games at that point, so it was it was all right. But <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I think when you you asked me after the pod once, and yeah, the, the news that a that Sam was going to leave that that was a shock, and then b you, you were going back to Australia, so I was going to be. I think the, the editing was obviously the, the thing I was most worried about, and you know we, we had Neil on earlier, and he he came on, he, he very helpfully came on as a guest what one of the weeks I was on and, and you know one of Neil's kind of side projects is he, he likes his, his music he likes to play a bit of music so he was very very helpful with with acoustic like the direction how I could ma- manage the, the set acoustically so I'm eternally thankful to him and you know so jo- John Steele helped out he came on and you know him and yourself and Sam and, and James and, and Mike all, all helped so Yes, it's, it's, it's very different, like actually chatting to a live person but versus kind of sitting and, and reading off notes. And I, I felt very self-conscious and, and very nervous, but you know, I, I got I got three pods out and the response was, was pretty, pretty positive. I didn't didn't crash the ship. No, no one, no one burned down the, the, the pod. So, yeah, yeah I, I got through that. And obviously I've, I've been on kind of, kind of more frequently towards the, the back end of the season. It's kind of become part of my part of my my routine. And. Yeah, it, it feels weird, like because it used to be part of my my week off, and like you know, listening to yourself and, and Sam, and then listening to like John and James later on in the week. So, I put put myself on. I think no no one likes listening to their own their own voice, and yeah, I hope I I am a Gamba fan. I, I try not and bring that into other other teams, but yeah, I really love like, watching football, and I, I love watching the J League. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch J One, I'll watch J Two, J J Three. I've not watched any JFL yet, but I I, I would. I'll, I like watching all, all kind of categories of, of of football. So yeah, it's been, been been a really really good good year for me. But been on the pod, it gives me the chance to vent. It gives me the chance to, to discuss. And uh, you know, in recent weeks, I I'd never actually talked to, to Alan Gibson or Sean Carroll. Like actually talked to them before. So it's been good good for me. I've met a lot lot of people like at the beginning of the year as well, like Daniel and Ralph and, and Stuart Woodward and people like that. I've, yeah, so so it's been a good good year for me. Um, and yeah, I've I've been to 11 Gamba games this year, which is the most I've been to I think since they were in J2 in 2013. But yeah, it's not not been a great season Gamba wise. But yeah, there's, there's been plenty to talk to talk talk about. Not just in J1, the, the national team doing particularly well. So yeah, it's been been, been a good year for for me. Uh, how about yourself, Ben? Because you, you obviously mentioned you, you had the chance to go back to to Australia. So you, you had a bit of a mid season mid season break, like some of the European players are having. So uh, how's how's this year been for for yourself? Yeah, a really good one again, uh, Johnny. We, um, yeah, obviously, as you said, uh, Sam uh, announcing that he was uh, going to have to step away were, was a big shock. But uh, thankfully, uh, I knew the the perfect person to uh, to fill Sam's shoes. And um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for uh, for, for coming on board uh, on uh, on a regular basis. And um, well, yeah, becoming part of the furniture, which I certainly hope will will continue in uh, in 2024. We'll have to, yeah, take you off the that trainee contract and and get you on, uh, sign you up to your first full uh, professional contract. I think you've uh, most definitely earned it over. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, you obviously you, you proved your chops. Not that you needed to prove anything to 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 me or the the listeners, but uh, yeah, your your work over the summer was uh, hugely appreciated. And then, um, as I said, the, the perfect man to to step in for Sam and um, yeah I, I think I probably said it a number of times before Sam left but once again a, a massive thanks to Sam for everything he'd done for the podcast over the uh, the years uh, firstly as a guest and then obviously as a co-host 
and um, yeah, it was great to obviously catch up with him and have the three of us on again last week. And yeah, when uh, when Sam's schedule permits, we hope to do so uh, again in uh, in 2024. So uh, yeah, once uh, Johnny was uh, officially on board, of course, the the season wrapped up with uh, huge successes for Avispa Fukuoka and Vissel Kobe. Uh, Avispa winning the first trophy in their history, the Levain Cup final, and then Vissel Kobe. Well, they went and did the thing. They won J1 for the first time in their history and uh, massive credit and massive kudos to, uh, well, to both of those clubs. And again, to Kawasaki on Saturday, even though uh, the, the final wasn't the, um, the footballing spectacle. I think we all hoped for Johnny um, at the end of the day. Yes, they rode their luck, but um, yeah, somebody's got to win and football is a cruel game. And unfortunately for race, it just wasn't the year uh, at all. Um, luckily for them, they, they managed to, to not finish worst uh, of the pile in J1. But um, yeah, well, the only way is up, hopefully for them in in 2024. And if they can hang on to Mal Hosoya and uh, Matteo Savio, then I'm sure they'll uh, they'll finish. Um, well, I shouldn't say that, should I? Because we we all had them. We all had them finishing a lot higher than 17th throughout the course of this season. They had to turn it around right. But uh, well, they just never did, did they? So um Yes, very much an Anis Horribilis for Raysol, but uh, we know all about that, Johnny, as uh, Tokyo and Gumba supporters, don't we? Uh, well, let's hope um, that Raysol are better next year, and indeed both of our clubs are as well. Um, couldn't get much worse, could it? But uh, yeah, we've got uh, J1, as we said last week, expanding up to 20 teams with uh, Machida joining uh, the top flight ranks for the first time. And uh, yeah, Tokyo Verdi and uh, Jubilo Iwata making uh, triumphant returns. So, um, yes, Neil's heading off to the UK on uh, Tuesday morning. You've got about another week uh, to get through before you head back for for Christmas and then uh, we'll uh, we'll reconvene I think in uh, early January to uh, to look ahead to the Asian Cup once uh, Mr Moriyasu's uh, announced his squad Johnny how does all that sound Yeah I'll be I'll be going back I think ne- next next Friday I finish up work on Thursday then the next Friday I think ho- hopefully my I ordered a book from from Sean Carroll I'm planning to to read that on the, the rather long flight home and then uh, I'm sorry to say I will not be watching the, the, the Thailand game given the time difference. I'll not be getting up at like three or four a.m. in in the UK on the, the first of January to watch that. But yeah, I, the last time I went back to the, the UK, Kenta Hasegawa was still Gamba manager. That's how long it's been. So wow, um, wow. To, to catching up with uh, friends and family, and, uh, and obviously my, my local team is, is Air United, and I think they're playing Dunfermline on the 30th of December. My friend told me so. Hopefully take in some Scottish football, but it's it's quite quite mild in Osaka today, so I'm very very worried about how cold that's going to be at the end of December. But yeah, yeah, it's been a been a good 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 year for me in in many ways, and I'm happy to kind of cap it off with a, a trip home to see the family, and then yeah, but very much looking forward to getting getting stuck into the um the the, the national team setup, and then of course the um the the, the season previews before the the 2024 season uh, k- kicks off again. Indeed, indeed. All right. So, uh, Johnny, we'll uh, wish you a uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll catch up with you, uh, as we said, in early 2024. Yes. Um, so for, for everyone, um, uh, wherever you are, I hope you enjoy the, the, the rest of your year and uh, a happy, happy 2024 to everyone. And I'll, I'll speak to you all again uh, next year. Thank you. 
All right, thanks ever so much, Johnny. And uh, that's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. And indeed, that's it for our 2023 podcast. Uh, as I said, started all the way back on uh, January 17th. And uh, yeah, we've been going basically nonstop for uh, pretty much 11 months. So uh, I'm sure you can understand, listeners, that we uh, we need a, a little bit of time to decompress after uh, yeah the G League's 30th anniversary season. But um, yeah, thanks for joining us on this journey, uh, however many episodes of J Talk you've listened to throughout the year. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank Neil for his time uh, in part one of this episode. We'd obviously like to thank Sam for everything he's done for the pod over the years. Thanks to all of our guests who joined us throughout the year. Thanks to Richie Palmer at Gifu Richie on Twitter for running JPred again in 2023. Unfortunately, uh, myself and Johnny were nowhere near the podium. But uh, yeah, congrats to everybody who did well in that. And uh, Richie, we look forward to JPred returning again in 2024. Thanks to our patrons, uh, one and all, for their uh, ongoing support. Uh, We quite literally couldn't do this without you guys. And uh, thanks again uh, to everybody who supports us on on Patreon. It is uh, very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, for the final time this year, thanks to you listeners for listening wherever you are. From everyone at JTalk, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll be back early in 2024 to look ahead to the Asian Cup. We'll speak to you then. Bye for now. The JTalk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.